True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks for joining us for our next lesson in our series on the book of Ephesians. In today's lesson, we'll be going over Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, where it says to be imitators of God. As we seek to be imitators of God, we can see that Jesus Christ, who is God, is the one that we can take an example from. As we look at this, we're going to go back over chapter 4, at least the end part, and see how Jesus actually fulfilled or did what Paul is calling us to do. If we go back to the gospel and go back to the scripture, we can find the example that we need to be imitators of God. Well, thanks again for joining us. We hope that you enjoy this lesson. Ephesians chapter 5, if it's on the same page, we'll be looking a little bit at Ephesians chapter 4, 29-32, well, even more than that, 25-32. through 32. Uh, Today we're going to do something a little bit different. <coughs> Reese just gave me that uh, paper, but I don't know where it went. But on your paper, on your little handouts, um, you should have like, I think six different uh, scripture references. Okay, and so it's going to be a little, like I said, different today. So just get ready to turn in your Bible a lot. But those scriptures are there on your page. So you can turn there if you need to, if you want to. Um, or you can listen as I read those when we get to them. So Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to read one verse today. Okay, and then we're going to be referencing all the verses that we've just been talking about for the past two weeks. Okay, so let's read it. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we just come before you and thank you for this day that you've given to us and thank you for just all that you do for us, God, and all the things that uh, you bless us with, God. And we love you and we just pray all this through Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, this is a very short verse, obviously. Okay, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. But it's very, very important. And uh, as we're going to look at it, we're going to see today some cool things about this, I think. Um, Our world, first I want to talk about our world's view of imitation. Okay? Hey, Kaylee. Our world's view of imitation. Okay? These are some quotes that I found. Okay? They are incorrect quotes. Okay? Just so you guys know. Uh, At least for what we're talking about today. Okay? Up in the top right corner, you see this is our world's view of imitation. Okay, one of them says, imitation may be the sincerest form of plagiarism, but it's also the mark of an inferior person. Okay, another one, another one of the quotes that I found about imitation says, no man was ever great by imitation. Okay, no man was ever great by imitation. That is false. Okay, as we're going to see today. This is our world's idea of imitation. Our, Our world's idea is that we need to be original. Okay, we should never imitate anybody. We should come up with our own ideas, our own, our own ways of thinking. And like, to some degree, I understand what they're trying to get at. But as we see from Scripture here today, we are supposed to imitate someone. We're supposed to imitate God. Okay, and so I just want to share this before we even really get going, just our world's view of imitation. Okay, and this word imitation, okay, in verse 1, it means to mimic. The Greek root Greek word is mimic. Okay, and so when talking about mimicking, we have to look at the mimic octopus. Okay, the mimic octopus. It is a, a an animal that mimics a lot of other creatures. It's really cool. Okay, the mimic octopus imitates a wide range of animals. Okay, including lionfish, okay, crabs, venomous sole, jellyfish, sea snakes, uh, mantis shrimp, uh, sea anemones, and like a bunch of stuff like that. Okay, and 
as it's doing that, okay, it mimics, like let's say, the one example here that uh, I was reading about, it mimics the sole venomous fish by flattering its uh, body, okay, because it's very flexible, obviously, and using its jet propulsion, which is a pretty cool thing to have, okay, for an animal. But it, it, it uses that to swim at high speeds and raising its arms above its head, okay, and it bends them in zigzaggy shapes, and it resembles the fish eating a sea anemone. So he's, he's like mimicking two different things at one time. It's really cool. He also uh, mimics jellyfish, okay, because he like, he like goes up to the top of the water, and he lets himself sink and throws his arms up, and he like looks like a little jellyfish like going like this. Okay, and the reason he does that, he mimics all these other creatures, is to deter predators, okay? That's why you mimic a jellyfish, right? Or a sea lion, or an anemone. I'm like Nemo, I can't even say it. A sea anemone, okay? The reason you would mimic those things is so that the predators don't get him, right? And so just like the octopus, just like this mimicking octopus mimics all these other animals, we need to be mimicking God. Okay, and that's what verse 1 is saying. So, in regards to that one, thinking about this this week, I was like, we could do Ephesians 5, 1 through you know, 7 or 8, or 1 through 5 or something. And I was like, you know what? Let's just look at 1, and then let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at those things that Paul just told us to do, and let's see if we can find in the Scripture where Jesus did those things. Okay, because we're supposed to be imitators of God, right? And who is our visible God? Jesus. Jesus was a manifestation of God, right? He is God in the flesh. And so we can think, see things about God the Father as well, God the Spirit, but we can look at Jesus Christ and we can mimic Him. Okay? And so back, if we're going to, you guys, it should be like on the same page. This is Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 25. Okay, we're going to read this <clears throat> through the end of the chapter. And then we're going to go back to the Gospels and we're going to look and see if Jesus did these things, which he did, by the way, just, you know, spoiler alert. Okay, verse 25, <clears throat> it says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for you are many members of one another. Be angry, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down upon your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who is in need. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it gives grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by, which whom, or by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice or wickedness, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ, uh, God in Christ also has forgiven you. And then verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God. Right? So he just tells us about all these things we should be doing. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. So let's go back and look at it. The first one that we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 16, speaking the truth. And we've talked a lot about this already, uh, this account. But I'm going to read it for you guys. <clears throat> like I said, uh, we're going to be flipping around a lot so you guys can turn to these or you can listen to me read them either way. Uh, but here, Jesus speaks the truth. And I think on your little papers it says, what did Jesus do? Okay, so if you want to write that down, he speaks the truth here. Okay, this is verse 21 of Matthew chapter 16. It says, For that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. Now Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He's saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he, meaning Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. 
you are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on the interests of God, but on the interests of man or on man's interests. And so the reason we want to bring this up is because at the very start, Paul says, hey, make sure you speak the truth. And here, Jesus is speaking the truth. I forgot to turn the thing, but there's the, the thing, uh, the reference. Okay, so Jesus speaks the truth to Peter, right? Okay, Peter is following man's plan, and we've talked about this a lot, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But Peter doesn't want Jesus to die, right? And he says, hey, I love you, Jesus. I want you here with me. I don't want you to die. And uh, Jesus says, get behind me, saying, you're, you're not following the will of man, or men, will of God, but you're following the will of man. And so Jesus is speaking the truth to Peter. Now, Peter, you know, I think he understands some stuff that's going on, but he may not understand everything that's going on here, right? Like, because it says later on that, you know, they didn't quite comprehend that Jesus was going to die and rise again. And, you know, when Jesus died, they were all, like, sad. He didn't remember that he was going to rise again. So he may not understand everything, but Jesus does, right? Because he's God. So he understands everything here. And he says that Peter's being a stumbling block to him. Okay? In Jesus' flesh, in his manhood, does he want to die? Does he want to be separated from the Father? No. No, he doesn't. Okay, the temptation, even though he's not going to give into it because he's because he's God, he's Jesus, right? But the temptation would be same as in the garden, right? When he's when he's uh, praying and sweating drops of blood, he he doesn't want to be separated <laughs> from the Father. Okay, and he doesn't want to die. And he doesn't want to be crucified. Okay, and so he Jesus, instead of going along with the lie, he speaks the truth. Okay, and it, he speaks it bluntly to Peter, right? Which is good for the moment. It was in the need of the moment. But he speaks the truth to Peter. Now, this is a, a quote I found about this. It says, Peter was trying to keep the Lord. Uh, he was trying to keep the Lord from dying. But that was a primary reason. I would say the primary reason. I don't know why this guy said a primary. That was the primary reason uh, why Jesus came into the world. Trying to thwart the crucifixion as Satan had earlier tried to do resulted in him uh, not thinking from God's viewpoint. So uh, Satan and Peter were doing the same thing. You know That's why he said, get behind me, Satan. But in this account, here's what I want you to remember. Jesus speaks the truth. Okay, And we need to speak the truth too. Right? Paul just got done telling him, hey, speak the truth. And we talked about that two weeks ago, so we're not going to go into it. But here we see Jesus doing that. He speaks the truth, and so we should speak the truth. If we're going to be imitators of God, we must speak the truth. Okay, the next one. This is in Matthew 12. Uh, there's actually two on this one. This is be angry but do not sin. It is 21.12. Sorry, I said 12. It's Matthew 21.12 and 13. And then we'll flip over to Luke really quick. Because we have two things I want to show uh, about Jesus. First one is he's angry and he doesn't sin. And then the second one is he's slow to anger. Okay, So it's interesting here. Let's look at this first one. It's just two verses. It says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Okay, so this is Jesus cleaning out the temple, right? It's a very popular account. And as Jesus does this, everybody says, hey, he has anger here, but it's not sin. It's righteous anger. It leads to righteousness. It leads to justice. Okay, And if you go back and you see, what did Paul just say? He said, hey, be angry, but don't sin. And so he can be angry and not sin. And Jesus was. His anger uh, led to righteousness. And look at who it's focused on in verse 13. Uh, as it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. It's focused on the Father. It's focused on God. Uh, he's not angry because somebody did something to him and he felt cheated or he felt um, 
you know, whatever. He's angry because of sin and sin against the Father. Okay, so keep that in, in, in mind. This is a quote I found um, about this specific passage. It says, The sacrilege of his father, Jesus' father house, uh, was not a light matter. It must be clean, and no one was more qualified to do it than the son. And so Jesus comes in. He cleans out the temple. Temple is righteous anger was uh, anger that led to righteousness and justice, okay? But I also want you to see, okay, this is in Luke. Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 47 through 53. Think about this as if you were there, okay, and you were Jesus, okay? Because this is an account where Jesus, like if I was Jesus, I would have got mad with a human anger, okay? I would have got mad at Judas for what he was doing, and mad at these uh, religious leaders who were coming with Judas and what they were doing. So put yourself in Jesus' shoes here and think about, hey, what would I have done? What would I have been like? Because he's a very slow to anger here. Um, and also remember that this would be an anger that would be, um, I mean, I guess he, he might have been able to have righteous anger because he's God in this situation, but these people are doing stuff to him and he doesn't get angry at him. So just, just listen, think about it and listen. Okay, and, and read it if you got it pulled up. It says, While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preaching, uh, or was preceding them. And he approached Jesus and kissed him. And Jesus said, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw that what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike them with a sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched the ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come against him, Have you not come out with swords and clubs as you were would against a robber? Why, while I was with you daily in the temple, you do not lay hands on me. But this hour is the power of darkness is yours. Okay, and so they're in the garden, right? And Judas comes and he betrays Jesus. Everybody heard this story before? Yes, everybody's heard this story before. Okay, if I was Jesus, I would get angry here. Okay, not only did one of my 12 disciples um, betray me okay, and hand me over to le religious leaders, but also the prideful and arrogant religious leaders, it, it feels like they're winning right here, right? They've just arrested me. Okay, not me. Okay, but if you're Jesus, they've just arrested you. You've done nothing but good. And they've been talking smack about you and trying to kill you for a long time. And they're arrogant and prideful. And this would be a time when my flesh would get angry. Okay, but Jesus doesn't get angry here, and you know we we read this all the time, and it's like that's incredible in and of itself that he doesn't get angry, and like his disciples are angry, right? What do they do? We think it's Peter, right? Pulls out the sword and cuts a dude's ear off. If he had a little bit better aim, you know, but he missed and hit his ear. Okay, the disciples are angry, but Jesus doesn't get angry. He's slow to anger, and his anger when he has it brings about righteousness and justice, which is exactly what Paul says earlier. In Ephesians, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down upon your anger. And here, we see that example from Jesus. Okay? And I think that's important. I think all these are important, guys, because um, Paul says, Be imitators of God. And if Jesus didn't do these things, or if we didn't even know, like, we're just like assuming, well, yeah, Jesus did all this stuff because he's perfect. But we can actually go back to Scripture and see that he does all these things that we're supposed to do. And we can imitate him in doing them. Okay, the next thing is in Mark. And Mark 1, 32-35, it's working hard to give. Now, this one is interesting, right? Because how much, does anybody know how much of Jesus' life is portrayed in the Gospels? Or how many, the span of His life? 
How how long? I'm not sure how long, but I'm pretty sure it's not all. So he was 32, 33 when he dies, right? But the scriptures basically focus in on three years, essentially. Okay, the years of his ministry, right? They show when he was born, okay, and uh, like Luke, so it shows his life. But it re- you don't really get a lot. You see when he's twelve one time. So really, it's all focused on like three years ish, right? Um, and so we don't know what Jesus did before that. We don't know how he worked or what he worked um, and things like that. Uh, we do know his his dad was a carpenter, right? And so some people think he might have, you know, worked with his dad, been a carpenter, some things like that. But we don't see everything. And even the Gospels don't show every single detail about his life for those, the time that it shows, right? So we don't see every single thing. But when he was uh, in his ministry, his main job was rabbi or teacher. Okay? That was his main job. And here, in this, we see him working hard. Okay? He's not building a house. Okay, but he is working, and we're going to look at it. He works hard, but look at the purpose of why he's working here. Okay, this is verse 32. It says, When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. The whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. So what happens here? The okay, they're at a house, and uh, so Jewish calendars are weird, okay? They're, or maybe ours are weird, but their day starts in the evening, right? There is, so it's kind of like this weird thing. So it's actually Sabbath, so nobody's doing anything, okay? Because they're not supposed to work on Sabbath. And then it becomes evening, so all these people flood to Jesus, okay? And it's, in, it's like night. It's getting ready to be night. It's like getting dark, and all these people flood to Jesus. And so what does he do? He says, no, you know, come back in the morning, you know, after I've got a good night's sleep. No. He sits there, and who knows for how long he heals these people all into the night. I mean, it's the whole town, right? It's all the sick people in the town. So it's a lot of people, and he's healing them, casting out demons, dealing with, if we're honest, dirty, nasty humans and their dirty, nasty illnesses and demonic things, and he's dealing with this all night, right? Or a lot of the night, or a long time in the night. And to me, I was thinking, well, where do we see Jesus working? I think this is here. Like, Jesus is working hard here. Like, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy task. To do this, and I know he's not like building a house, you know, but that's not the only way you work, right? And so he's here working with these people. And what's the purpose behind what he's doing? It's it's for them, right? It's yeah. there. It's compassion. It's it's healing people. So he's working hard not to give monet- monetarily, not to give money, but he is giving to them, right? He's giving them healing. He's giving them strength. He's giving them. Uh, compassion and kindness. He's giving them all these things. So He's doing this for them. This is not a self-focused working. Okay, and so we do see Jesus here laboring, okay, and to give to other people. Okay, and by the way, in verse 35, He wakes up early in the morning after a hard night's work so He can make sure that He prays. That's a whole other thing you could talk about. Okay, this is a quote, another quote. I found a quote for this one as well. It says, It would seem as if the whole town had gathered at the door of Simon's house. In compassionate response to human need, Jesus heals many. Okay, all that were brought. That's a quote from 
um, just a commentary, but he's Jesus is compassionate. He looks at other people and he says, I'm going to heal them, not for my own self, not so that I can gain things, but I'm going to heal the, these people. Okay, And so he works hard so that he can give. For us, are we to work hard to give? Yes, that's what Paul said. Right? Yeah. Does anybody remember that from two weeks ago? We should be working hard so that we can give to other people, whether that's monetarily or not. We should be doing that. Okay, and Jesus does that. He's the example. Okay, John chapter 4. Okay, John chapter 4, uh, verse 1. This one is long. We're going to read it, though. And um, it's just interesting. What I want you guys to think about, okay, I'm, this is from Ephesians 4.29. It says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for edification or building up, according to the need of the moment, so that it may give grace to those who hear. Okay? So, so when Paul says that we need to have no rotten words and we need to give grace uh, to those who hear us, and we need to let our words be according to the need of the moment. This is what I think of when I think of Jesus. Okay, in this uh, sentence. Okay, again, it's four. There you go. It's four twenty-one through twenty-six. John four. So when I'm reading this, think about how Jesus uses his words wisely to build up and give grace to the woman at the well. Okay, because he doesn't just go in and say whatever, and. Uh, not care about it. He uses words wisely. So look at it. This is verse 1, and we're going to read quite a bit. Okay, we're going to read uh, most of the account. Okay, it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard uh, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although he himself was not baptizing but his disciples, he left Judea and went away again to Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. And he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city by food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I'm a Samaritan woman? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift that God <coughs> excuse me, if you knew the gift of God, and who it was that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where then would you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Or sorry, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gives us this well, and who drank of it himself, and his sons, and his cattle? And Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty, or come to this well here to draw. And he said, Go call your husband, and have him come. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have correctly said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are now with is not your husband. This you have said truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. For our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you people say that Jerusalem is a place that men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither this mountain nor Jerusalem will be. Uh, will you worship the Father. You worship, it, you worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship in the Father in spirit and in truth. For such worship... Uh, for such people or worshipers, the Father seeks <clears throat> to be his worshipers. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, 
I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When he comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who you speak, or sorry, I who speak to you am he. Okay? That's where we're going to stop for now. Here's the deal. There's this woman at the well. She's getting water. Disciples are gone. Jesus obviously knows everything. But he uses words very wisely here. He could have walked straight up to this lady and said, I'm the Messiah. Believe in me. Okay, but he didn't. He went through this whole conversation with this lady. Okay, bringing her from one place to the other. Showing him that he had all knowledge. Showing her that he had all knowledge. Showing him that he had wisdom. And then brings her to a point of understanding where he can say, in verse 26, I am the Messiah. And then she's ready. And she says, Whoa, you are the Messiah. I understand. And the reason I use this for let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, is Jesus was using words according to the need of the moment. This lady needed to hear what he had to say. She was ready to accept the Messiah. She was ready to accept that the Messiah was here, okay, on the earth. And yet he just doesn't just go up to her and say, Hey, I'm the Messiah. Believe in me. Because why? Because he's using his words wisely according to the need of the moment. Okay? And we need to do the same thing. He led her to a place where she understood and she accepted the fact that he was a Messiah, right? And so we can do the same thing. Jesus did this all the time, okay? All throughout, like everywhere you look, okay? He uses words wisely. He doesn't use foolish words, he doesn't use rash words, he doesn't just say things. I mean, he does when he needs to, right? Uh, but all of his words are used in wisdom according to the need of the moment. Okay, And they're all truthful too, but they're all used according to the need of the moment. Does that make sense? And we all should use our words in the same way, just like Paul told us. Okay, We got two more. Okay, Don't worry. It's not going to be that much longer. The next one is John. Okay, I love this one. You could use this. You could use so many stories for Jesus' um, compassion and kindness. But John 11, I'm going to read more than verse 35. Uh, I'm going to read probably 28 through 37. This is Jesus when he's uh, getting ready to heal Lazarus. Okay, And just context for you guys, Jesus and Lazarus were friends. Okay, And Mary and Martha were Jesus' friends. Okay, They weren't just some random people. Like He had stayed with them. He had been with them a lot. They were friends. Okay, So keep that in your mind as we read this. And then we're going to look at verse 35 as Jesus showing compassion. And again, you can go all over the Scriptures and find His compassion. Okay? All over the Scriptures. But we're going to look at this one. Okay, verse 28 says, When she had said this, she went away and called Mary... Okay, that's Martha. Okay, so when Martha said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying, uh, secretly, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, was still in a place where Martha had met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, when they saw Mary get up and go quickly, uh, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb uh, to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, and she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, stop right there. So the context of that, is this, so the disciples get word that Lazarus is sick, okay, and he's dying. Or they think he's dying. And Jesus is not that far away. Um, and so the disciples are like, let's go. Let's go heal him. He's your friend, right? Remember, he's his friend. So he's like, let's go, let's go heal Lazarus, Jesus. And Jesus is like, well, let's wait a little bit. And he kind of procrastinates. It's kind of weird, okay? And so he, he 
he just procrastinates, procrastinates, and then they travel, and, and Lazarus dies. And so everybody's like, kind of like, why, why weren't you here? Like, this is Mary. She's like, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have even died. You could have healed him. Okay, of course, we know that Jesus knows this, okay? And he's not going to only show them the power that he can heal, but the power that he can raise from the dead. Okay, so he's going to show them this. But, and Jesus knows this too, and that's why he, he, it looks like he procrastinated. But all these people are, why weren't you here, Jesus? Okay, verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, and he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Okay, he's troubled because these people are weeping. That's what it says. And he said, uh, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then this is the, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, right? Verse 35. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man have opened the eyes of the blind, have kept this man from dying? They said, Jesus, you opened the eyes of the blind. You could have, you could have healed Lazarus. Okay? And they're saying it behind his back in this case. But um, what I want you guys to focus on, focus on is Jesus wept. Okay? Jesus wept. It's one of the shortest verses in the Bible, but the context is all these people are sorry, or not sorry, but sorrowful. Okay? They're weeping. They're crying. And Jesus, I think Jesus moved here. By these people who are crying. Okay, Jesus knows that Lazarus is going to come back. Okay, he knows Lazarus is going to come back. He's going to raise him up. Okay, but why does he cry? Because all these people around his friends, Mary, Martha, probably the disciples who knew Lazarus well as well. Okay, and then these other people who are around, they're all mourning for this death. Okay, this is a quote uh, by Robert Wilkin, and I like it because there's a lot of things that, I know you can't see the end there, but there's a lot of things that people say, well, Jesus wept because of this, or wept because of this. But it says, perhaps Jesus wept because he was touched by the pain of the mourners, or because he grieved at the reality of death, or because he was sorry to bring Lazarus back into a fallen world. Those are the three things that people are, this is why Jesus cried. Okay? The simplest explanation is the first one, and he was upset, so he wept. And I agree with this. Especially based on verse 33, right? Verse 33, it says, When Jesus therefore saw them weeping, okay, the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. Okay, here's the deal. Jesus cares about people. And he's compassionate and kind. Okay, and, and he cared that these people were crying, even though he knew Lazarus was coming back from the dead. He knew in an hour or whatever the time was that all these people would be happy again. Okay, he knew that, but he still cared about them deeply. And it's really cool, too, because like sometimes we're like, well, Jesus knows the end. God knows the end of our life. And He knows it's all going to be good because you know I put my faith in Christ for eternal life. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be in the kingdom. And He knows that. So He doesn't care about me right now. But He does. And He cared about these people in the moment. That they were feeling anguish. That they were feeling pain because their brother had just died. Like He feels that for them. And He wept because of that, even though He was about to change it all. He still wept. Okay? He was compassionate. He was compassionate. He cared about people. He saw people's needs and he cared about them. And what did Paul say in Ephesians 4.32? Be kind and tenderhearted or compassionate to one another. We need to be just like Jesus was. Compassionate towards one another. Okay? He was compassionate towards these people and I think it's a huge account of his compassion. He didn't, like I said, he didn't have to cry. He didn't have to. He knew. He knew the end result. But he still cared about their pain in the moment and their anguish in the moment and their, their feelings right then. He cared about it. Okay? All right, last one. Okay, Luke 23, 34. 
Okay, Luke 23, 34, we're going to look at Jesus' forgiveness. This goes back to Ephesians 4, 32, where it says, Forgive each other just like God in Christ also forgave you. Okay, and this is interesting. Okay, we know that Jesus, okay, in this account, Jesus is laying his life down for everyone, right? He's being crucified, and he's doing that uh, to pay for sins and offer eternal life, offer forgiveness for everybody, right? So we know that he's a forgiving God, right? Okay, after all we've done to him, he's laying down his life so that uh, we can be forgiven. And now, in verse 34, okay, he gives this specific statement okay, uh, to these guys. So look at it. It says, but Jesus was saying, he's on the cross here. Okay, Just FYI, if you didn't know, he's on the cross here. Okay, It says, but Jesus uh, was saying, or said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they, the people he just said, were casting lots, dividing up the garments among themselves. Okay, this is a quote by Constable. And I want to share it. In, context, or in contrast to the hate and rejection expressed in the crucifixion, Jesus manifested or showed His love and forgiveness for the soldiers who were crucifying Him. He prayed for them, basing His petition on the mercy, uh, basing His petition for mercy on their ignorance, even though at the same time they were stealing and gambling for His garments in fulfillment of prophecy. So we know that Jesus died for everybody to forgive everyone. That automatically shows His forgiveness. But right here, He's asking the Father to forgive the soldiers who are crucifying Him. Okay, The non-Jews, the Gentiles, the Romans who are crucifying Him. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Okay, And I just think that that's really powerful because He's in a lot of pain. And he's dying on the cross. Why in the world would he even say this? What's the point? Okay? Because he loves them and he forgives them. Okay? Even while they're stealing his clothes, even while he's being crucified, he still forgives them. And that isn't that just what we talked about a couple weeks ago or last week when our friends or the people around us, our siblings, how we should forgive them. We should forgive them regardless of what they're doing to us, regardless of whether we're in the right or the wrong. We should forgive Okay, just like Christ forgave okay, these soldiers and forgave all of us too. Right? We're just looking at this example of the soldiers. And so Jesus forgave, we should forgive. Okay, so I'm going to go back. Okay? This is Ephesians. If you want to go back to Ephesians, okay? We're going to read verse 25 through 32 again. Okay? And think about, well, how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus do this? How did Jesus do this? Okay, because he did all of these things. Okay? And there are specific examples that we can see in the Scriptures of Him doing all of these things. It says, therefore, or not doing these things. Okay? Some of these things He didn't do, obviously. Like the uh, verse, what is it, 31 and stuff like that. Okay? So but just look at verse, starting verse 25. It says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak the truth in love, which He did to Peter. Right? Uh, verse 26, be angry, but do not sin, like He did in the, temple, in the temple. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity to sin. Or an opportunity. Okay, it says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who is in need. Okay, he labored in order that he should give to people in Mark. All right? Then it says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it will give grace to those who hear. That's what he did with the woman at the well. He gave her words according to the need of the moment to give her grace. Okay, verse 31. 
No bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, put all those things away. And then verse 32, be kind and tenderhearted, just like Jesus was to Mary and Martha and the people around during Lazarus' death. Forgiving one another, okay, just like God in Christ has also forgiven you. Okay, and we also saw that Christ forgave the soldiers on the cross as well. Okay, so what's the impact? Okay, look at the Gospels, read the Scripture to see how Jesus lived, and try to mimic Him. Remember, at the very start, that little octopus? Okay, He mimics things. He looks like them. He changes Himself to look like them so people, not people, so animals don't attack Him because they think He's something else. Okay, and at the very beginning, it said uh, those worldly quotes that we saw, okay, that no one was ever great by mimicking someone else. Okay, that's not true. It's not true. It's a lie. Okay? Look at the gospel, see how we can mimic Jesus Christ. Because if we look like Jesus Christ, okay, we're going to be great. Because we're going to be servants. Right? And the servant is the greatest among us. Jesus is the greatest among us. So if we act like him and we do things like him, we mimic him, we imitate him, okay, as God, okay, then we're going to be great, right? Great in the kingdom. Okay? And so let's this week, let's be thinking about hey, how can I imitate God? How can I imitate Christ in these things? And if you have something, you're like, well, like, I don't, I don't, this is really hard for me. I know it's the right thing to do, but it's hard for me. Well, go back to the Scripture and look and see if God did it, or Jesus did it, or God, right? See if they did it. Thanks again for joining us for True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. If you enjoyed this lesson, make sure you subscribe so you can hear the rest of the lessons on True to the Bible podcast. And if you have any questions, Regarding this lesson or any of the other lessons, make sure you contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for joining us.